You're listening to sermons from St. Thomas Anglican Mission, located in Matthews County, Virginia, striving to live out the ancient faith through common prayer. Here's what we have for you this week. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. So this morning... Excuse me. This morning we resume our four-part series that we started a few weeks back titled Excuses. Uh, We all have them. Um, In the first two parts that that we did, uh, I spoke on two excuses that Moses gave uh, to God while standing at the burning bush. Uh, And This week we're going to look at Jonah. And then next week, Ananias of Damascus. And so to jog your memory this morning, uh, when I started this series, as I said, we looked at Moses, and, but we specifically looked at his first excuse, uh, where he said to the Lord, he said, who am I? Or as the message rendered it, why me? A rebuttal based on the fact that, based on the fact that Moses knew uh, that he wasn't capable of the task God called him to. But God knew that with his guidance, uh, Moses was capable of stepping into something uh, much bigger than he could possibly imagine. Which, of course, we know was uh, leading the the Hebrew nation out of bondage and out of captivity to the Egyptians. So that was part one, and then uh, which was four weeks ago. Then three weeks ago, we followed that up by looking at another of Moses' excuses when he said, but suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Excuse me, i got to adjust my stand here. I shared with you how the response of others uh, is ultimately outside of our control. Right? As I said then, I share again. We engage in the work of we engage in the work that the Lord calls us into precisely because He calls us to it. Our faithfulness is all that we have control over. The impact of that faithfulness is solely in the Lord's hands. So whatever we do, let us do it joyfully. Because we are ultimately engaging in kingdom work, no matter how mundane or trivial it may seem. You know, a smile, a hello, a pleasant greeting, uh, or even, uh, you know, preaching the gospel. It doesn't matter. Whatever we do, let us do it as if we're working unto the Lord. And with that mindset, and to approach life joyfully and joyously um, and, and see things that way. And that'll get us in a, a right attitude, a right uh, thought process. And this morning, so that brings us to this morning. This morning we look at Jonah. Uh, and while the book of Jonah is quite short, it's only four chapters, uh, most Bibles two, two and a half pages. Um, while it's quite short, it is just too much for us to read in its entirety here this morning. Uh, so we will bounce around a bit. So first, let's, let's uh, start at the beginning of Jonah. So we're going to look at Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. 
Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Actually, the first three verses. So here's Jonah. The word of the Lord came to him. The word of the Lord came to him saying, Go to Nineveh, preach. Preach my word. And Jonah bailed. Jonah ditched. Our text this morning begins with the word of the Lord coming to Jonah the prophet. Here he is, he's a prophet of the Lord. You know, it's kind of expected to go about and do the things the Lord asks you to do. And now Jonah... You know, the fact is, as a prophet of the Lord, he, he knows the kind of God that he serves and the kind of people who reside in Nineveh, even without, I'm sure, the Lord telling them their wickedness had come up before him. Okay, so, so Jonah knows the type of God he serves, and he knows the people who reside there. And, and what does he do? He, he chooses to run from the Lord, heads to Joppa, catches a boat, and heads to Tarshish, and, and sets the sea to, to go there. He runs. But before we, before we uh, get further into him running, we should understand that Jonah's calling was different uh, from that of the other prophets. Unlike the others, the Lord commanded Jonah to preach to the Ninevites, not the Jews. Uh, in, a, in a way, I guess it kind of foreshadowed uh, Christ's charge to all of us Christians to, therefore go, to go therefore and make disciples of all nations not just stay in our own little bubble, but to go out to encounter and to interact with the world at large. And the Great Commission is actually the natural outcome of obedience to the greatest commandments, uh, which is love God and love people. So the issue is that Jonah, you know, uh, the, the problem here, you know, the Lord tells him, go, go preach to Nineveh. Their wickedness has rose up to me. And Jonah knew what type of God he served. And so the problem is, the issue is that Jonah was content in his place of comfort. You know, he was content um, preaching and speaking to the chosen people of Israel. But when the word of the Lord called him into enemy territory to go preach, it challenged him. And it was going to force him to grow as a prophet of the Lord, and more importantly, to grow as a person. Nineveh was a wicked city, but the Lord, the Lord is compassionate. Ultimately, uh, the fact is, is that ultimately Jonah guessed correctly uh, about what the outcome of his preaching was going to be. And it, it would seem to me, it would seem that, uh, as he, since he did guess this correctly, he was assuming that God's going to have compassion on these people if their hearts are moved to repentance. Um, and the thought of that rubbed his narrow-minded nationalism the wrong way. His sense of nationalism didn't give space for the enemy, Ninevites, for the enemy to find repentance and prosper under the compassion of of his merciful God. So it seemed fitting to run because surely God cannot be serious about showing compassion on 
the others, on the enemy. After all, those people, those people didn't look like the chosen. They didn't speak like the chosen. And they even understood history differently than the chosen. They are the enemy. The fact is, though, is no one is above redemption. And even the redeemed, even the redeemed without grace and continued repentance, the redeemed are no better than those who are not. Well, you know, God could have brought conviction to Nineveh another way. He chose to use Jonah, a man who God, by his grace, chose to call. And in his mercy, he sought to transform into the best version he was meant to be. But obviously, Jonah wasn't having it. Of course, in the most technical sense, God doesn't need us because, after all, he's God, right? He can do anything. He can do everything. He created the entire cosmos. There's nothing he can't do. But he asks us, men and women, to be his hands and his feet, moved by his spirit, resulting in us learning his ways and growing in our faith as believers of Jesus Christ. We know from Moses that God has an extraordinary abundance of patience. So he was not going to let Jonah uh, off so easy. Just because Jonah was trying to run away, trying to catch a boat and sail somewhere else, God wasn't just going to be like, ah, whatever, he got away. Oh, it is what it is. Scratch that. Plan B. God wasn't going to let him get away. Jonah had the chance to truly embrace the heart of God, but he was not willing to. The same can be said for us as Christians. The Holy Spirit is always stretching us and calling us into deeper waters to live into and to live out of a more compassionate walk as, Jesus, as lived out and demonstrated and, and shown through the Gospels that Jesus Christ did while on his, uh, those, those years here. On earth. We know Jonah tried to run by booking passage on the ship to Tarshish, a decision that threatened the lives of all those aboard the vessel as a storm rose up until the, uh, the, the people aboard the ship threw Jonah overboard. And it was only after being tossed into the sea that the storm settled. And of course we know uh, uh, he was swallowed by a, a whale, and for three days, it was three days before he was spit out. Let's look back at the scriptures. Jonah 3, verses uh, 1 through 5. This is following the whale vomiting him up on the dry land. Then the word came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day Jonah started into the city, he proclaimed, Forty more days and Nineveh shall be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Jonah went to Nineveh. He, he obeyed. 
the Lord, but he went to Nineveh out of obligation. He went to Nineveh out of obligation to proclaim the word the Lord gave him. And what happened is exactly what he feared would come to pass, and is exactly the reason he ran away. The entire city repented, and God showed him mercy and compassion and didn't destroy them, which is exactly what Jonah did not want to happen. But God had compassion. God had mercy. God offered grace. And the city, it said, from the greatest to the least, from the king to the, to the guy sleeping in the corner of the street, greatest to the least, they all repented. And God looked upon them and, and had mercy. Verse 10, when God saw that they, what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. It is better for me to die than to live. The problem with, with Jonah... Um, the, the problem with with the Jonah narrative or, or whatnot is that is that we see and all that we typically see and all that we typically hear is the cute Sunday school story about Jonah and the whale, uh, you know, swallowing him up and him just sitting there in the whale and playing solitary or whatever for three whole days. All the while, we are missing the key fact of the story, the key fact as revealed in these four chapters of the book of Jonah. We fail to realize, or perhaps we actually choose to ignore, the fact that Jonah is actually a very sad story about a grumbling prophet. Even though he witnessed the redemptive compassion of God on enemies, Jonah was not transformed. Jonah, a prophet of the Lord, he was not transformed upon witnessing the redemptive compassion of God. He lacked joy. And he sought death, all because of his disdain for the other. All because he really did not like Nineveh, and he was concerned that God would truly show compassion and mercy and grace to them. And when God showed mercy and grace and compassion to them, it pissed Jonah off, and it made him mad. It made him angry. Jonah did not truly love his neighbor as himself, which begs the question, how deeply did Jonah actually love God? How deeply did he really love God? Jonah missed out because he did not rejoice in the transformative power of God. He did not grow. He did not learn. Others were changed and transformed from the, the greatest to the least. Changed, transformed, repented, experienced the compassionate redemption of the Lord. But not Jonah. Jonah remained the same. 
grumbly prophet, angry that his Lord, angry that his God did the thing that he is known for, which is compassion, mercy, grace, love. Many times we, as, uh, today, we grudgingly surrender to obligation and do the work of the gospel without joy. Because, oh, I'm expected to be there, or, oh, I'm the pastor, or, oh, it's the duty of a Christian to go to church, or to give money to this outreach, or to this missionary, or to go help on this homeless thing, or to go do this, or to go help in this shelter, or whatever. Sometimes we just feel obligated to do things, and we're not really doing them out of joy, and we're not really doing them out of love. We're just doing them because that's what we feel obligated that we are expected to do. Thankfully, God, in his grace, chooses to use imperfect people, even grumbly people. And in doing so, lives are touched by the message of Christ's mighty resurrection and his glorious ascension. And those lives are transformed in repentance. But we, when we do things only out of obligation and not out of joy and not out of love and not out of compassion, when we do things solely out of obligation, because of that wrong mindset, we remain like Jonah, unchanged. And frankly, our discipleship becomes stagnant. Late last night on Facebook, I posted, I, I, I posted a, a thought that came to me as I fin after I finished the sermon. I, I wrote, Jonah walked in obligation without love, which caused his anger when God extended grace, resulting in repentance instead of judgment. Christ calls us to walk in transformation and love which results, which causes uh, us, at least, it, or at least it should, and all of heaven to rejoice when God extends grace resulting in repentance <clears throat> instead of judgment. So rejoice when God moves outside of your box, even more so if he allows you to be the instrument. See, Jonah should have rejoiced when God said, I'm going to move outside of Israel. I'm going to move, I'm going to do something outside the chosen people. He should have been joyful for that opportunity, for the chance to be able to do it. We need to be joyful when God allows us to be the instrument. The truth is, is God is always moving outside of our boxes. And as I wrote last night on my Facebook wall, we typically fail to see it because it doesn't fit our narrative. We typically refuse to accept and acknowledge that God can move in the other. Whatever the other is, a different political affiliation, a different skin color, a different economic status, a different nation, whatever the other is, Sometimes even a different Christian denomination at times. But we can fail to see that God is actually there, moving, doing something, redemptive, compassionate. Because it doesn't fit our narrative. And when we are challenged and confronted by it, we get angry. We get grumbly about it. We get 
we, we come to a crossroad where we, need a, we either need to just stay grumbly and angry or we meet, must evolve our thinking and transform and become more like Christ. Become more like, like Christ. So the question, the question is, <clears throat> the question becomes, what's your excuse? We're not finding joy in the grace and mercy showed by our compassionate God. Demonstrated by Christ and manifested by the Holy Spirit to the broken, the hurting, the disenfranchised, those who do not vote like you or look like you or speak like you or in the case of... Uh, Christian denominations and such don't worship like you. What's your excuse in not finding joy when God shows grace, mercy, compassion, hope? Jonah had no excuse. Jonah had no excuse not to rejoice. Somehow he found one. His excuse was found in his lack of compassion and his inability to see beyond his box. The box that said God was only for this group of people and not that other group. Friends, by repentance and by faith in Christ, the kingdom is accessible to all. And just like heaven, we should rejoice when anyone comes to faith in Christ. Anyone comes to faith, whether they friend or foe, whether they are known or unknown, let us rejoice. Bringing this to right now, the here and now, this pandemic that we are encountering, we're walking through the COVID-19 situation, it stinks. This pandemic sucks. But it's actually a time for us to stop and to turn our eyes to God. To not grumble because many churches are closed to in-person services and innovation is required on how to continue and how to continue to have worship services and move forward and these sort of things. Now is the time to rejoice in realizing that God, God is still in control and he's still moving despite the present troubles that we find ourselves living in and living through. Look, God can still move through your life and in your life whether you wear a mask or you don't wear a mask. So wearing a mask does not, you know... Inhibit your life. Doesn't inhibit the proclamation of the gospel. Um, you know, God still moves whether we're doing this online or we're doing this in person. It's, it's, there are certain things that are lost online, but it's not all lost. This We can still gather together and be the body of Christ. Protests and those in rallies might discomfort us and, and cause us to question the narrative that we hold so dear to our life. But God moves in and through them and shows compassion in the midst of them. 
So church, I guess this morning what I'm saying is that there is no excuse. There is no excuse to not do the things God calls us to do. There is no justifiable excuse to run away just because we're worried that God might actually forgive someone that we don't want to, forgiveness to be extended to. It's our job to love our neighbors. Regardless of their political affiliation, whether they're Republican, Democrat, Green, Independent, this or that, whatever the party, we're called to love our neighbors regardless of the color of their skin. We're called to love our neighbors and to seek to understand our enemies. Our enemies. Because really they're just our neighbors. And in doing so, we will find ourselves joyfully preaching the gospel in word and deed as we grow and as we are transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit. There is no acceptable excuse. Because at the end of the day, the way that you love God is reflected in the way that you love people. And the way you love people is a manifestation of the love you have for our God. And so the fact that Jonah got angry and wanted death because God had compassion and mercy on others, on people, begs the question of did he really even understand love in the first place? And if you get angry, if you get pissed off when God shows compassion and mercy and, and favor on people who aren't of your political mindset or your skin color or your nationality or your social economic status or whatever, you have to really ask yourself, how much do you really love God? Because again, the way you love God should be reflected in the way you love people. And the way you love people is a manifestation of the love that you have for God. There is no excuse. Let us do all things with joy. Let us rejoice in all things that God does in our lives and in the lives of those around us. Even if it doesn't fit in our box and we don't understand it. Let's pray. Well, Lord God, <clears throat> Heavenly Father, glorious King, we give you thanks for the, uh, the ability to gather together this morning through this technological means. We give you thanks, God, for the calling you have on each of our lives as Christians, the calling to be worthy of the vocation of Christianhood, of being a Christian. God, I pray that you help us by your Holy Spirit to continue to soften our hearts and work in our hearts, God, so that we truly do love you, Father, with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. But we also love our neighbor as ourselves, that we also love our enemies. And God, let us, let us God, rejoice and not only the great things you do in our lives and in the lives of our friends and our families when you show grace and mercy and compassion and hope, but let us rejoice when you show those things 
to those that aren't in our social circle, to those that we don't consider friends, to those who for some reason we might not consider neighbor but rather enemy. Let us still rejoice when you show grace and mercy and compassion and hope when you offer redemption. God, let us not be angered when you do things that challenge our, our box, challenge our narrative. But let us endeavor by the leading of your Holy Spirit who leads us into all truth. Let us endeavor to always evolve our thinking. Always rejoice in the things that you are doing, have done, will do. God, make us more like Jesus. Help us be more like Jesus. Because we know, we, we know, Lord, from your scriptures that you are love. So help us embody that love. Not only with our, our lips, but in our lives, by our actions, by our deeds. We ask this in Christ's name. And now unto God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit.